want you to open your Bible today. Actually, we're going to begin in 1 Timothy 3. So turn there. 1 Timothy 3, the proper view of church leadership. The proper view of church leadership. Let me say today that uh, what I'm covering is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Those who have been in ministry, you will very much relate to what I'm saying. Those in ministry will as well. There are a lot of men who are no longer in the ministry, per se, in the pulpit, in the pastorate, and so forth, because it got to where they could not take it any longer because of the mistreatment, misunderstanding, and so forth of local church ministry. It's a real problem, and um, we're going to address some of that today. We're going to look at some aspects that make the whole concept of ministry in the local church go much smoother the way God intends it to be. You know, God expects the local church to be a place of blessing. God expects the local church to be a place where people want to come because when they go, they're learning the Word of God. They get what they need. And sometimes what we need is we need to get pricked. We need to get pushed around a little bit, right? Not physically, but um, uh, spiritually speaking through the Scriptures. But it is a great place for encouragement, growth for many things. Now, the local church is far more important in the eyes of God than it is in the eyes of man. We do not see it as God does, even though we try to. And I love the local church. I love being a pastor. I love this church. I love the people of this church. When I say I love this church, I'm not talking about the building, although I love our building too. There's a few things I'd like to do differently. But you learn that over time. But God has been magnificent in how he's provided us a beautiful place to meet. But it's the people that make the church. We could have a beautiful facility and have a nightmare of an existence as the people of God. The local church is the main vehicle God has ordained to reach people for Christ in the age in which we live. It is to evangelize and to make disciples. Now, this doesn't mean that other ministries cannot be fruitful, an internet ministry, a broadcast ministry, a family, a ministry ministering to families, and so forth like that, the ministry of an evangelist. All of these things are part of the work of God. We get that. But the core, core, home base, is supposed to be the local church. The pattern in Scripture is clear. It is to win the lost to Christ and then establish local churches to train and disciple those who are one to Christ. That is the work of the local church. Ephesians chapter 4 is very clear on that, and we've spent many, many hours talking about it and examining the Scriptures. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul, again, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, "...but if I tarry long..." that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Behave yourself, that thou mayest oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So when it comes to the local church, the Lord puts a premium on church leadership. Okay, as we saw in chapter 3, where he talked about the responsibilities of elders and deacons, as we saw in Titus chapter 1, as we have seen in 1 Peter chapter 5, all of these directed towards 
the requirements, the expectations of church, local church leadership. God is very clear on this. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that so much is written about it. And I think so much is written about it is because it's such an important thing of how it is to be. But he is also specific on how the church is to respond to the leadership of the church. Let me say here, let me get this one out of the way. According to Scripture, the clear teaching of Scripture, and we've taught it all many times verse by verse through these passages, the local church leadership is not a dictatorship. It's loving leadership. It is careful, caring leadership, but it is leadership. There was a church years ago that split locally here. It was a a charismatic church. We had one of our men, he was working with somebody from that church, and the man made a peculiar statement. Now, I wasn't in the, I I had met the pastor of the church once, but the church split. It was a big church. The church split into many little churches, some of them still going today. But I can remember hearing this person say, bewail the issue and and how much they didn't care for the pastor. And this is what they told our member who was working with them. They said, well, we had a church split because the pastor wasn't leading us like we wanted him to lead us. Now that's an interesting phrase. The pastor wasn't leading us like we wanted him to lead us. And I'm thinking, I heard that and I thought, That sounds weird. If he's leading you according to Scripture, you should be following. And if he's not leading you according to Scripture, you you should get another pastor. But you don't need to split and start another church over that. Now, over to 1 Timothy chapter 5 is where we pick it up. It says this, and of course, you know, it's, it's been talking now, when we turned the page into chapter 5, started talking about widows and so forth, expectations on the family and so on, Paul is telling Timothy, okay, here's some other issues I want you to, to focus on, I want you to be aware of. One is the care for widows, who are widows, and how do you care for widows indeed would be the term, all right? Those who have no family to care for them, because the first responsibility to care for widows are family, not church, but if they literally have no family, then there should be that care. But now it goes to verse 17. It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine or the teaching of the scriptures. Now, Whereas in verse 1, it talked about elders, but the context there was very clear. It was talking about older men, because it was talking about how to treat the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women, and so forth. Here, though, it's very clear we're talking about church leadership, the elders, okay? And so it says, let the elders that rule, well, not every older person is an elder, but those who do. Uh, rule well, let, uh, let them be counted worthy of double honor. And so the first thing we see in our passage is the honor, counted worthy of double honor, the honor of the pastor. Now, I know there are some people who might hear this or see this, or maybe you're here today and you say, oh boy, boy, he's going to use this to his advantage. Well, number one, shame on you. Let's believe what God says I've had people over the years say, well, doesn't it bother you to preach on things that have to do with your position as a pastor and this and that? And it's like, no, it's part of the word of God. It's, 
You just plow through it. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Teach it as it is. It doesn't matter who it applies to. You teach it as it is. And by the way, that's part of the beauty of going verse by verse through Scripture. You come upon it and you go through it the way you should, and then everybody knows. So this speaks, first of all, of the honor of the pastor. Now, the word honor, you notice, be kind of worthy of double honor. The word honor means consider of high value to esteem of great value. All right? Church people are to esteem their pastor. They are supposed to hold him in a position or consider him of high value, high honor. Now, there's a reason for that. We're going to look at it. But it's a positional thing first and foremost. So it isn't, okay, well, wait a minute, I don't like that. You're really going to have to get, do some explaining to, for me to accept that. Well, you're a rebel. You should have the idea of, you know what, if God says it, I may un- not understand it, but I want to know because I want to do the right thing that honors God. That should be the mentality. Who's it talking about? They have a position of ruling and overseeing the church as well as the teaching of the word of God. The elders that rule well. Do you see that? The word rule means to oversee, to manage. Somebody's in charge. There's leaders, okay? You have to have leadership. That's why we don't believe in uh, what's called a congregationally run church. If you take that literally, you're dealing with a circus, Because you've got spiritual people, you've got carnal people, you've got some people who are newbies in the body of Christ, you've got other ones who are set in their ways and they wouldn't change for anything, even if it's true. And you're going to say, we're going to let the whole church decide on what we're going to do and how we're going to function as a church? That's a mistake. What you need to have is you need to have godly men who know the Word of God, who love the Word of God, who first and foremost want to honor God with their life and with their ministry, and those are the ones who are supposed to be responsible to run that church, to rule that church, to oversee that church. And the idea of an elder is the overseer. And so we see first the honor of the pastor. Those who labor... Those who oversee the church properly according to the word of God, that's how you do it properly, and those who labor in word and doctrine. Now, what does it mean? Because the word comes up, and it's important. It's an important concept. What does it mean when the Bible says, count them worthy of double honor? I'll give you what I believe it means, and I'm not unique in this. I think it fits the scriptures probably better than anything else. The first aspect is this. First, The congregation should honor or value the pastor positionally. In other words, because God says it, because this is the way God has set it up in his word. This has to do with the office of the pastor. Now, there can be a pastor, there can be assistant pastors, okay? We'll say at times, I'll say pastors of our church, but the way scripture, I believe, has it set up is there's one main pastor of the church, not everybody is the same. There's one main pastor. When Jesus addressed each angel of the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, most commentators believe the angel there, the word angel means, literally, it means a messenger. And most commentators believe, and I agree, that it's referring, he was addressing the pastor of the church. He didn't say the pastors of the church. He said the pastor of the church. Now, any pastor who's worth a dime, knows that he needs godly counselors 
and assistance to do his job effectively because he doesn't know everything. So that's why we have a board of elders. Okay, that's why we, uh, our elder board, two of the men on that board are pastors, ordained pastors in our church, uh, Pastor Trout, Pastor Dave. You might say, was well, that a contradiction? No, there's no contradiction in that. It's just the way it's set up and it works really well. Okay, but this has to do with the office. Now, this first issue is a matter of principle. This, of course, does not mean that the pastor should not live a life worthy of respect and honor. He should, but the truth of it is he should never even be an elder in the church unless he's a man of integrity and honor because we saw those qualifications back in chapter three. We covered those clearly there. He should be a qualified man of God before he comes into the office. And as he walks with the Lord and lives out that office that the Lord has given him, respect for him, the decisions that are made will grow. The church will be blessed and people say, you know what? Uh, It's a blessing to be part of this. And so the man, the pastor of the church, the elder that rules well should be counted worthy of double honor. Hold your place here and look with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, what a far cry this is from the, some of the people out there, and I will be polite, but I will call them the squawking internet theologians of today, okay? We have no idea the way these people, they're big mouths though. We have no idea the way these people live their personal lives. They have no accountability, But they get on the internet and they've learned how to leverage the internet and use the internet to tear down people and try to discredit people such as myself, such as Dr. Yankee Arnold, Pastor Jesse down in Tampa and and others as well, saying that, you know, these people know what they're talking about and, and they call us all kinds of names and all these kind of things. It's like, are you kidding me? See, folks, this is one of the beauties of local church. We've got accountability. We're accountable. I'm accountable. Do you understand that? I'm accountable. If I live a corrupt life, I have to give an account for that. If I teach false doctrine, I have to give an account for that. You might say, does that bother you? No, I wouldn't have it any other way because that's what honors God. And that's what we should be doing, honoring God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and by the way, 1 Thessalonians written to a local church at Thessalonica, It says, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, leadership, and admonish you. These people admonish you. They warn you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And by the way, a local church who esteems them very highly in love for their work's sake will be a church that will be at peace with each other. It's one of the fruits of following scripture is peace. So let's go back to our text, 1 Timothy chapter 5. So we see that there's the honor of the pastor and first the congregation should honor or value the pastor positionally. That's the first issue of double honor. But secondly, they also should be honored financially. Financially. Verse 18 It says, for the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And I have no problem if you want to call me an ox. I'm good with that. (laughs) I've been called a lot worse. So (laughs) ox is good. Ox is good. 
but they are to be honored financially. In other words, their physical needs should be met. This here says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. These are quotes from other scriptures. And we'll talk about those in just a moment. But hold your place again and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because Paul dealt with this issue with the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church was a carnal church. The Corinthian church was giving him a hard time. They were mocking him. They were didn't want to follow Paul's teachings. They had an issue with him. And he was very careful as far as taking support from them. And even with all Paul invested in the church at Corinth, and he wasn't the pastor of the church, okay? But even all that he invested in the lives of the people there, all the souls that were won, all the training that took place, but yet he had to write 1 Corinthians, which was a scathing rebuke to that church at Corinth, these believers who were living according to their flesh, according to their sin nature. All that he had invested into them. He says in 2 Corinthians, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. How did he love them? In every way possible. He cared for them. He encouraged them. He taught them. He rebuked them. He lived an example for them. He taught them the word of God. He led many of them to Christ. And yet they turned on him. Now why? Well, because they were carnal. And he said so, didn't he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But here in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9, it says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or does he take care of the oxen? Now the context is financial support. That's the context here. Jump down. Verse 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things... Is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Now, carnal here doesn't mean sinful. It means material things, material things. If others be partakers of this power or this authority over you, are we not rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Talking about temple priests. They would minister in holy things. And of course, through what came in, they would then benefit. And that's how they sustained themselves, through what came in. They which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained. Okay, this should settle it, right? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel. There are a lot of churches today. Now, this is an old-fashioned idea, but the, uh, the fragments of that are still floating out there. There used to be churches who said, we expect if a man's going to be a pastor of our church, he should be somebody who has taken a vow of poverty. Can you imagine a vow of poverty? In other words, I make a vow that I will live in poverty. My family will live in poverty to show our loyalty to Christ. You know what? That may sound good, but that is as sinful and wrong as all get out. That is not what the Bible teaches. Churches should willingly support those who are standing for God's truth and being faithful to the Lord. Now, 
the question comes up, how much income should a pastor receive? Well, that's, there's no actual dollar figure that I can give you on this. But let me ask some questions to you in determining this. And by the way, obviously, we're going verse by verse through First Timothy, all right? I'm not here today asking for more money. We don't hardly ever discuss anything about this in our church. Our church is always taking care of me and, and my family, my wife, our girls, uh, when they were at home, always took care of our needs. That was never an issue. Now, at the beginning, when we hardly had anybody, it was an issue, and I actually had to work a second job for a while doing carpentry work with somebody who was in our church. Can you imagine doing carpentry work? You know, it's good stuff as long as you're careful with the tools, but that's another story. You can ask me about it sometime. No, don't do that. It's too humiliating. How much should a pastor receive in income? Well, here's some questions for you to determine that. Number one, how valuable is a pastor who is fulfilling his God-given ministry? In the eyes of God, how valuable is a pastor who is fulfilling his God-given ministry? Folks, I can tell you this. Today, it's incredibly valuable because there is so much junk going on in churches and ministries today that it is heartbreaking to see what is going on. Hold your place and look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's Paul's commission to the pastor, okay? This is the last chapter uh, that Paul wrote, and we know there were no actual chapter divisions in Scripture. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's awaiting his martyrdom, and he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. It's the last thing he wrote him. And he has just got done in chapter 3 talking about all scriptures given by inspiration of God and the Bible, preaching the Bible as it is, is the thing that will not only get people saved, but grow them up and transform their lives to where they become mature, effective Christians. And so with that in mind, he moves right into chapter 4. So remember, there's no real chapter division there. But he says, I charge thee therefore before God, 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Quick means living. It doesn't mean that your reflexes are sharp. Okay. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. The word preach means to herald forth. This is not talking about let's have a discussion. This is know the word of God as it is and preach it as it is and let it do its work. Regardless of what comes back to you, you've got a responsibility to get it out there, clear and plain. Don't Listen, there's a lot of preachers today who are taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and they're trying to dull the edges so it's not offensive to people. That is a blasphemous act for any pastor. He's disqualified from ministry as far as I'm concerned. Get out of the pulpit if you're going to try to soften the Scriptures so that you keep your job. Listen, if you're being faithful, God will always take care of your needs. He says, preach the word, be instant, ready, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And of course, the Bible does all of that. For the time will come, and folks, we are there. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Endure means put up with sound doctrine. 
But after their own lusts, the people, the congregation, after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. The people have itching ears or tickle. Tickle my ears. Let me hear about how to live my best life now or something like this, okay? This, this idea of prosperity gospel or positive confession teaching or all this other heresy stuff that's going on. I had a man call me. I think he lives in Texas. Sounds like he lives in Texas. I had him call me this week and uh, nice guy, real nice guy. We've talked a couple times. He listens to us faithfully. And uh, he's going to a Baptist church in his area. And his Baptist church is linked into a, a teacher today who I consider somebody who's teaching false teaching, some false teaching. His name's Stephen Anderson. Don't get into him, okay? Don't get into him. He's very popular because he's outrageous in the things he, he teaches. He's anti-Semitic, and there's a lot of other things. But he believes and teaches that, like a lot of Pentecostals teach, that when Jesus died on the cross, he went to hell, and there he suffered. Jesus suffered in hell, and he fought the devil in hell. And he was tortured. And then he came back from the dead. And so he went there, and they don't believe that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, paid in full, that he was talking about the payment for sin. Hey, listen, folks, that's elementary teaching of Scripture there. If you don't get that, good grief. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all your sin. It was done. He said it is finished. He bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. He did not suffer in hell. He did not go there to pay for sin or to wrestle Satan or to be tortured by the demons like some of your Pentecostals teach. We covered it in Ephesians, by the way. Go to Ephesians, check out the passage, Ephesians 4.12, that passage or message, and you can hear on that. We don't want to take up the time. But we need to preach the word as it is. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Watch. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Listen, if you reject the truth, you have nothing left to embrace but a lie. Some fairy tale thing like Mormonism. It's fairy tale. It's like a comic book, what the Mormons teach, but they hide it. And listen, if you have to hide what you teach, you're deceitful. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling it like it is. This is what the Bible would say, right? It is what the Bible says. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, because they will come if you stand on the truth. Do the work of an evangelist, preach the gospel, make full proof of thy ministry. And so the question to you this morning is this, how valuable is a pastor who is fulfilling his God-given ministry? I don't know about you, if I wasn't the pastor and I was going to a church and a man was preaching the word of God as it is and standing for the truths of scripture and being true to the faith, I would consider that incredibly valuable because there aren't a lot of churches that are doing that today. Secondly, how important is the clarity of the gospel and doctrinal soundness? Is it a church you can go to and hear how to be saved? 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is not any kind of reformation or good works you can do that will get you to heaven. It's only what Jesus Christ did on the cross that can give you eternal life. Jesus died for our sins because we had to have a payment for our sins. He was buried and rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe in him, that he did that for you, the moment you do, he'll give you everlasting life as a free gift. No strings attached. You can never lose it. He'll never cast you out. Eternal life is eternal life. If it was to stop, it's not eternal. You can't lose your salvation. It's the gift of God. It's the free gift of God because all gifts are, if they're real gifts, are free. Beware promotions today. Buy one, get a second one for free. That's not free. I want the second one. (laughs) Will you still give it to me? Sure, here, have it. Oh, okay, that's free. You need to change the way you phrase things. If I have to buy one to get the second one for free, I'm buying them both for 50% off, right? That's not salvation. Jesus paid the complete price for all of our sins, all of them. He did it. He paid the price completely. There's nothing left for us to do. There's no other requirement except he says, I just want you to believe that I did it for you. And when you do, I will give you as a free gift everlasting life. I'll never lose you. I'll never cast you out. Don't tell people that. If you do, they'll go out and they'll live wicked lives and you'll never see them again in church. I see you. No, friend. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you pass from death unto life. And he says, you can never go back again. You'll never come into condemnation. That's the word of God in the flesh. Can you believe what he says? Yes, you can. That settles it. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Because Jesus said, if I put my faith in him, I have everlasting life and I can never be condemned again. That's how I know. It's the only way you can know. You can't know by the way you live. You can only know by what Jesus did for you. That's why it says in 1 John 5:13, "These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life." You can know that you have eternal life. Now let me say today, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, trust in him as the one who died for you. Look, look up here. This is you and me. Here's our sin. We're all sinners. Our sin separates us from God. You can't go to heaven with your sin. Heaven's a perfect place. To get there, you have to be sinless. None of us are. God says our sin has to be paid for. God requires a payment for sin, and it is death. Nowhere in the scripture does it say good works will pay for sin. If we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. God says, I love you so much. I don't want you to go there. I will do this. I will take care of this for you. And that's what he did. God, the son came into the world Jesus Christ, sinless. And he went to the cross and he took all of our sin upon himself and he died and he said, it's finished, paid in full. And that is what happened. And he paid for our sin 
and he was buried and he rose from the grave. If he paid for all your sin, how many's left to pay for? None. Death is the payment for sin. You'd have to end up in hell if you're going to pay for your sin. But wait, how many sins are left to pay for? None. So then you can't go to hell. You have nothing to send you there. There's no payment for you to make. He did it for you. Salvation is you're accepting the payment Jesus made for you. You believe, that's all. Believe he did it for you, it's good on your behalf. Isn't that the greatest news? And that's why you can know that you have eternal life. So our first question is, how valuable is a pastor who's fulfilling his God-given ministry? Secondly, how important is the clarity of the gospel and doctrinal soundness? Teaching the whole counsel of God in context. Third, how important is the church in the mind of God? Well, the church is God's design. It holds the truth of God and it proclaims that truth to the world. That is what the church is about. So how important is that? Well, according to God, it's incredibly important. He's the one who designed it. He's the one who designed the vehicle. He's the one who designed how it's to operate. And so to minimize it, or to have people who don't know how to work the machinery, you might say, it's a problem. But when you do have it right, and we see the church as God sees the church, that's a valuable thing. We're in 1 Timothy, in chapter 3 again, in verse 15. But if I tarry long, I know we already touched on this, but the second, last part of the verse I wanted to mention But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, look at this now, which is the church of the living God. How important is the church? Well, it's God's design. It's his body. I'd say it's very important. The pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the church. Of course, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. In Ephesians 2.20, it says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the foundation of the church, Jesus being the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets being there, and then the church is built upon that. How important is it? Well, if Jesus is the cornerstone, I'd say the church is important. And so when we talk about local church, folks, we're talking about something that in the plan of God is of immense important. But I got news for you. If we don't have proper leadership, it's not going to accomplish the work that God set it out to do. So leadership is very important. Now, with these issues in mind, it is my opinion that the pastor, getting back to the point, how much should he make, for lack of a better term, I believe that the pastor should receive at least the average income of the rest of the families of the church. Now, I don't know if I do or I don't. To be honest with you, I don't care. But I think that's what Scripture's talking about. And that would be a reasonable thing, right? And no, he shouldn't. You know, these prosperity preachers who are driving these Maseratis and Lamborghinis and they've got their own jets and all this kind of stuff. Are you kidding me? They live in these like 20-room mansions. Are you kidding me? Now, is there anything wrong with living in a nice house? No, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the pastor, he should be an example. He should live in a, him and his family should live in an efficiency apartment to show they're really serious-minded about the things of God. Pitiful. You know there are people who think that way? When we first started our church, there was a man who was a treasurer. He's an interesting man. 
he would just about make me beg for my check every week. He wouldn't just give it to me. I would have to go ask him for it. You know how wrong that is? That's just wrong. The way we have it now, I, I, all, all our, our main staff, we get our check on either Thursday, Friday. Okay, I don't deposit ours till usually Monday morning. But you get it Thursday, Friday. I don't even ask for it. They say, Pastor, can you, you know, there's one check I have to sign because the, the uh, Pastor Trout prints the checks, but he, you, we have it set up to where a pastor can't sign a check to himself. Doesn't that make sense? So I think he should make at least the average income of the rest of the families. Now, here you go, folks. If you are benefiting from the teaching and the ministries of this church, you have an obligation to support the work of the local church and to support the leadership of the church if you're benefiting from this church. You have an obligation to that. Now, do we hound people? Do we, do we hound them? How much are you making? You should be giving this much of your... Well, if you don't do it, you're going to hear from us. We'll be at your door. Now, we're not the Catholic Church. You shouldn't say that. Why? They do that locally. They do that in St. Cloud. They'll knock at your door. I'm not going to knock at your door. God's knocking at your door through what we're covering. Galatians 6.6 6 says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate. And that word communicate means share with him that teaches in all good things. People have an obligation. If you're benefiting from the preaching and teaching of the word of God, you have an obligation as a believer to support it. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so let me go on real quickly. Secondly, we see the accountability of the pastor. Okay, verse 19. While qualified biblical godly leaders are to be followed, they too are accountable for their actions. And I know I've touched on it already, but that's important to understand. It says in verse 19, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Why? Because sometimes things do get ugly in a church. And by the way, there are some pastors and people in church leadership are living secret lives of sin, and they should be accountable for how they live. But see, this principle, this, this issue of witnesses is a big one. Matthew eighteen sixteen. but if he will not hear thee, then let him take to thee one or two more, that in the mouth are two or three witnesses, every word should be established. This concept of two or three witnesses, this phrase is repeated two times in the book of Deuteronomy and four times in the New Testament. Why is this important? Well, because it's easy to start a rumor, but if you're going to attack the leadership with your rumor, you're going to have to have at least two witnesses to support your rumor. Don't gossip around. You need to come to the board and say, hey, look, pastor's doing this. Here's proof of it. Here's two other people who will confirm what I'm saying. Otherwise, you know what it's supposed to be? It's supposed to be treated as gossip, and you should be disciplined if it's gossip. If what you're saying is not true, now listen, we're not talking about a matter of opinion on something that's insignificant. We are talking about actual sin, wrongdoing. Well, I've got wrongdoing. Well, I came to church. I, I've been coming to church in the last two weeks. He didn't even say hi to me. <laughs> I want him fired. I want him fired. You know how hard it is to say hi to everybody in this church today and mean it? I mean, I could go up and down the road and say, hi, 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 hi. 
Not only that, but if you really want it, why don't you come to me and say hi to me? Listen, folks, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is such a great privilege. The difficulty of ministry, that's not the part of it. That is an incredible joy. The difficulty in ministry is people dealing with these kind of issues that come up. As one man said, to dwell above with saints we love, well, that will be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) And that can be a problem. Two or three witnesses, because rumors are easy to start, but they can be difficult to stop. And all they do is split churches, and that ends up being a disaster. And I'll tell you what, the devil is behind every one of those things. But if there's two or three witnesses who will verify the accusation against the elders, elder's life, the pastor's life, system pastor, whatever it is, and it's legit, that needs to be brought to the attention. There does need to be an accountability. And then in verse 20 gives us how it's supposed to be handled. Them that sin. Now in the context, it's talking about the elders or the pastor. Them that sin rebuke before all publicly, that all others also may fear. Hey, if they'll rebuke the pastor for sin, he's been doing wrong and they're willing to take a public stand and bring this to the issue. I guess they do the same with me. Yeah. And you know what? That's a good thing. Well, I don't think we should be doing Well, you're disagreeing with what the Bible says. The Bible says that is how we're supposed to do it, right? In love, proper testimony, right attitude, but it's supposed to be done. We need to take a stand. See, verse 20 is not talking about a difference of opinion on how a situation was handled. It is speaking of clear sin. So here's the point. There are no exceptions or people who are above the standards and truths of the Lord and his word. Nobody's above that. Everybody's accountable. That's what God is saying. Everyone is accountable, no one is above it, and that includes the elders, that includes the pastor of the church. We all are obligated to be true and to be faithful. Isn't the balance of Scripture a wonderful thing? It's wonderful. So leaders should be followed, they should be honored, both for their position and both financially, but yet at the same time, they're still accountable. They're still accountable. They're not above accountability. Verse 21, I charge ye before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing with partiality or by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Now that doesn't mean to throw him out, okay? Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other man's sins. Keep thyself pure. I think this is probably referring to a premature ordination or giving a position of leadership. Don't give it to someone who is a newbie. Don't give it to somebody you really don't know and you really haven't examined, because that's going to come back to bite you if it's somebody who's got a a hidden agenda, so to speak. Be careful. You notice it says, neither be partakers of other men's sins. If you don't know the background and character of an individual you're honoring, and it is found out that they are in sin then it is like you have approved of their sin, and that makes you look bad as a pastor. So be careful, be careful about those kind of things. I know of a situation 
and I'll close with this, but I know of a situation of one church. There was a very wealthy, successful businessman who happened to be a Christian. That person started going to their church, and I don't know what the thinking was, but, and again, it's up to them. They don't give an account to me, okay? They basically, that man quickly became an elder in the church. And within a short period of time, it came back to bite them. It was a mistake. Now, does that happen? It happens. Could it happen here? It could, but listen, because we know of these things, Lord willing, it won't happen, and we'll be careful, and faithfulness to God's word is paramount. Now, let me say today, we've covered a lot of ground, but hopefully you understand the balance and the beauty of Scripture and how God is calling us to be real and to be honest and to be transparent. Not only that, but friend, listen, if you personally have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as I covered earlier, you need to trust him as your Savior because there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look, here we are as sinners. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you trust Christ the Savior, all your sin is taken away, and you are given the very righteousness of God. He gives you everlasting life. Isn't that great news? And it's a gift. So take it today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.